Hey friend, this is Ryan Thomas. We're so blessed and grateful you're listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are quite simply the best and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Traditions get elevated to doctrines. When people fill in the details, they think the Bible has left out. So says Amanda Hope Haley. In her new book, The Self-Described Red-Haired Archaeologist takes us on a fascinating journey back to the actual text of the Bible and invites us to view each verse with fresh eyes and discover the truth is even better than the traditions. We dig into the brand new Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow and welcome archaeologist and author Amanda Hope Haley on the road today. The heartiest of greetings to you, Amanda. How does the day appear to be going at this point? Very, very well. We've got most of our Christmas decorations up and I've been working, writing my next book and laundry's going. It's, you know, it's things are running along. <laughs> that seems to be a degree of multitasking that is just absolutely inconceivable to me. Talking about <laughs> one book while writing another book, that's truly impressive. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's a juggling act. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> so the truth is we don't get to see a ton of books that deal with eyeshadow right in the title. It seems the logical oh, yeah. place to start, Amanda. What is the inspiration <laughs> behind those provoking words, Mary Magdalene never wore blue eyeshadow? So we had a lot of trouble coming up with a title for the book, honestly. Um, this may have been the fourth, like, absolutely official title that was turned into the ISBN people. Um, we had a lot of trouble. Um, but that, Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow started as the title of the introduction because of a story that I tell at the beginning that sort of sets the tone for the entire book. And um, that is when I was, um, I was a graduate student at Harvard Divinity School, and I was taking a class in extra biblical texts. Um, and so one day we were reading something called the Gospel of Mary. And it's not in the Bible for a whole lot of reasons, um, but it's the literature. And so we were studying it, learning something about the time period that it came from. And in this text, the narrative goes that Jesus has told Mary Magdalene something that he has not shared with the other people. And so the, um, she's trying to express this to the other apostles who are there with her, and they're having none of it. And it, it's very fragmentary. So there's just like this one section, and there's a big gap. And so as we're reading through it, and we get to the gap, the teaching fellow who's in the room says, you know, hey, guys, why do you think that the other apostles didn't, didn't believe Mary Magdalene, didn't give her authority, didn't trust her, you know, as being equal to them. And me being someone who was raised in the church and the buckle of the Bible belt, as they say, I knew the answer. And I raised my hand and I said, oh, was it because she was a prostitute? And there was a kid, a kid, he wasn't a kid. He was an undergrad. There was an undergrad sitting across from me and he kicked back in his chair, like on the back two legs and laughed. And he said in a very snarky way, 
how did you get into graduate school without knowing that that wasn't true? Oh. That Mary Magdalene wasn't a prostitute. Seems like a charming guy. Of course, my initial response or thought was, oh, he's wrong. And I got some sort of strange combination of really mad and embarrassed. And luckily, the teaching fellow handled it great, and he diffused the situation, and he explained to me and the rest of the room that Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute, that that is a tradition that developed um, many centuries later because of a guy called Pope Gregory the Great. And um, that that is not something that is in the Bible. It's just Mm. purely a tradition. And uh, yeah, that was, it was embarrassing. So I went home and I called my mom and I told her what happened. And my mom may have been even angrier about the situation than I was. Because she told me in that moment, I know that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Because when I was a child, I was in an Easter play. I played Mary Magdalene and my mother covered me in blue eyeshadow and other makeup Hmm. to show everyone in the audience that I was the prostitute. I was Mary Magdalene. And um, so that's where the title comes from. Just, you know, this idea that there are so many, so many traditions that we, that we believe are truth. And here I was in divinity graduate school honestly wholeheartedly believing that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. My mom still believed the same thing. Obviously her mother thought the same way because she dressed my mom up that way. So that's three generations of women who were raised in the church and honestly knew our Bibles well, but believed something that simply wasn't there. Well, I can't wait to dig into your background in archeology span in just a second, but (laughs) it's probably fair to ask first, why does it matter? You know, why would it be a problem for us to keep accepting a tradition like that that seems pretty innocuous, like a notion about mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene? Well, it, it, it influences how we think of her character. And I, I would not consider myself a feminist scholar or anything like that, but she is a prominent female figure in the New Testament. And so when she gets written off easily by people as, as a prostitute, then you approach her character, you approach everything that she does with a, a certain attitude about who you think that she is. And it unintentionally colors everything that you think about her. I mean, I think that's true all the time. If you were just, what, actually, I, my husband and I live in a transitional neighborhood in downtown Chattanooga. We love it here. And um, there's a really sweet lady who, um, let's say she's a lady of the night. Mm. <laughs> And, you know, every single day, I just happen to see her when I'm taking my dog out. And every single morning, she comes up to us, and I can tell that being with Copper is, like, the best part of her day. And when I, when I first met her, when I first knew her, I thought of her a certain way. I acted a certain way. I treated her a certain way because of my preconceived notion about her. But now, several years later, as I've actually gotten to know this woman um, and you know, realize that that does not define her, then I, it, it has opened me up to understand her a little better, learn about her, love her, and um, you know, see in a practical way, in her instance, how, how God can use me, how God can work through me to maybe help her. And so then looking at Mary Magdalene, if, if you're thinking of her in a certain way as a fallen woman or, you know, whatever, you may miss how God used her in the first century to, to impact those around her. 
That makes perfect sense. Amanda Hope Haley is with us. She's a lover of the Bible, a scholar, author, and archaeologist. She just released her book, Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow. And let's dig in, shall we, to the background in archaeology. I think that everyone who's ever been fascinated by an epic story from history or honestly anyone who's ever seen Indiana Jones has probably wanted to become an archaeologist for at least a moment. Was that always a dream for you? Really, it wasn't. Um, I, I went to college intending to uh, become a lawyer. I wanted to be in international law. I don't know, become secretary of state or something grand <laughs> like that. And I went to a place called Broods College, which is it's a Presbyterian university. And so we were, well, it's Presbyterian in name. I would say that most of my religion professors there were probably atheists themselves or at least agnostic, but um, we were required as undergraduates to take at least four semesters of some sort of religion course. And early on, I took a course in biblical archaeology, and I just, I fell in love with it. And I, you know, got a scholarship to go dig in Israel that summer, and it just, it just went from there. Mm. Uh, Turned out I seemed to be pretty good at it, and I was fortunate that several of my professors were Harvard graduates themselves. And they suggested that I apply to Harvard and see if I could get in for graduate school. And with their recommendations, I did. So, um, yeah, that's how I ended up an archaeologist. Went to Harvard, dug with all of them. And I guess now here I am. From what I understand, the actual work of an archaeological dig is not quite as glamorous as we might think it is. No, no, no. There's absolutely nothing glamorous about it. <laughs> Archeo- I, yeah. Indiana Jones, I think, I mean, I love Indiana Jones. Um, when when I was in, like for many, many years, the ringtone on my cell phone was like the, the Raiders March. You know, dun, 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 dun. I mean, I, I love him. And I, I feel like archaeologists universally stereotypically do. But Indiana Jones, is a, he's really a treasure hunter something like that. He's not an actual archaeologist um, because Indiana Jones and most of these, he knows what he's looking for and he goes after it. And of course, you know, he finds it and there's all the the pomp and the drama and everything. And a real archaeologist, when you go out into the field, you know, you you look at a a hill and you cut into the side of it and, and you just say, you know, well, let's start digging and let's see what we find. And then whatever you find, you write about, as opposed to going looking for the Ark of the Covenant or um, <laughs> the Holy Grail or any of those things. It's it's not about going out and finding one object. It's about learning what life was like in the past. By the way, you have no idea how hard I'm trying to keep myself from asking you a question which would derail absolutely everything and ask you whether you think the Ark of the Covenant is out there somewhere to be found, but I won't do it. I won't do it. I'll go on to the next question, which is this. What are some of the digs that you've been part of that have dealt with biblical history? Um, So two two major ones. Um, The first one was when I was in graduate school. I was out at Ashkelon which is, it was a Philistine city. It was one of their five capital cities. And when I, when I worked there, we dug Iron Age and late Bronze Age periods. So we're talking like when King David um, was, you know, was king <laughs> of Israel and, you know, a uh, hundred years or so before that. We dug then, and then this past summer, I was in a place called Shimron, which 
it doesn't really appear in the Bible except just a couple of places where the name happens to be mentioned, but it was a very active city during almost all of biblical time. It had continuous occupation. Wow. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating stuff that we're talking about on the road today with Amanda Hope Haley. Her book is called Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow. Now, you you mentioned the Davidic and the Solomonic era. If you yeah. happen to be a historical geek, nerd, whichever term you'd mm-hmm. like to claim, you know, you'll I notice claim that- them all. <laughs> You'll notice that the Old Testament figures of David and Solomon, they're often talked about in theoretical terms in mainstream history Mm -hmm. as opposed to settled historical fact. And you go to great length in talking not only about Solomon, but what Solomon's temple would have looked like. What is it that gives you confidence that he was real and it was real? Oh, wow. That is such a huge question. Let me start off by saying when I was an undergrad, I was taught that he didn't exist. There is this whole side of um, of biblical archaeology that that you'll hear it called low chronology or biblical minimalism. One of those are the two most common terms, and they like to claim that David and Solomon never existed because there isn't a plethora of historical physical evidence that has been found of them in the ground. And so, when I was an undergrad. I was actually taught that they didn't exist, that they were just archetypes uh, for the nation, and that essentially the nation of Israel went directly from being um, an, a bunch of united tribes, as we see in, in a, like Joshua and Judges, and then straight into what I would call the divided monarchy of northern Israel and southern Israel. This says that there you know, never was that hundred years or so in the middle of David and Solomon uniting all of the tribes together. So that's what I was taught to believe because um, there's, there isn't a whole lot of evidence. Um, there are a few inscriptions out there. But when I went to Harvard, <laughs> um, believe it or not, when it comes to Harvard Divinity School in, in Hebrew Scripture Interpretation, um, Harvard's actually rather conservative, really? or at least it was when I was there, because most of my professors were conservative Jews. Oh, wow. And so they had a completely different take on what material evidence is, is there. And so between learning a different perspective from them and understanding the way carbon dating works a little bit better, and of course it has improved dramatically in you know, the last 15 or 20 years, um, I just Plus, a lot of the people who used to consider themselves low chronologists or biblical minimalists, they're actually kind of starting to turn around and disagree with that. Really? Because the science, yeah, um, because the science isn't isn't entirely lining up. Archaeology is a science, but I like to say that it's almost more of an art. There's so much of it that you know you you come to it with a set of expectations. And I, and I, as a Christian, come to it expecting, I, on some level, to, to, to find evidence that supports what I believe in God, even though I try to erase that. That's part of me. And um, I think that's, that's the tension back and forth, is you essentially have part of, part of the scholarly world who are atheist or agnostic and really 
at the heart of hearts, they're trying to use the archaeology to prove that God didn't exist or David didn't exist or Solomon didn't exist because right. it will pull down the entire faith system. Right. And I don't use archaeology to prove my faith system. To me, that's not necessary because I have faith in God, but it, it does give me a slightly different perspective on things. I, I don't doubt David and Solomon. I don't. We're talking with Amanda Hope Haley today on the road for Faith Radio. She's a lover of the Bible, a scholar, author, and archaeologist. She just released her book, Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow. There are two things that you uh, focused on that really caught my attention. One was because the time of the year where we're at, you talked about the story and our understanding of the inn and the manger in the nativity oh. story and yeah. sort of pulled back the curtain on some of the things we believed and the traditions we've had about those two. Could you talk a bit about that? Sure. Um, first off, I want to say I'm an archaeologist and I, I love history and I love tradition. It's it's something I, I grew up with. <laughs> I, I get it from my dad. Um, absolutely love tradition, but... Sometimes traditions that we have about the Bible that aren't actually in the Bible can, can, obs- can obscure the way we interpret passages. Like we were talking earlier about Mary Magdalene. If you come to the Bible thinking she was a prostitute, you're going to have one opinion of her starting off, um, which you know may or may not be correct. Same thing with the nativity scene. I, when I was growing up, my parents had this this nativity that I, I can still see it in my mind. It was it was a wooden barn. It was covered in Spanish moss, and all the figures were plastic, and it had this very distinctive smell. Uh, I'm sure they still have it somewhere, and I loved that thing. But the whole point of it was, here's a barn. Jesus was born in it. He was born in such a lowly state because humanity turned him away. You know, Mary, the, the, the perception it gives is that, you know, Mary and Joseph went knocking on doors and no one would let them in. And that, that interpretation of scripture comes from tradition. When you understand the archaeology and the way society worked at the time and the exact history of what was going on, you get a different picture of what was happening. Um, instead, I would like to see it characterized as or not characterized, I mean, but closer to the truth, closer to the history of the situation was. So what are we missing about it? There's a census going on in Bethlehem, and everyone who's from Bethlehem is going there to be counted, including Joseph and his family. And within the Jewish tradition, hospitality is incredibly important. And so the people who lived in Bethlehem knew people were going to be knocking on their doors and asking to stay for the night. Well, so Mary and Joseph get there, they knock on doors. When it says there's no room, what, when you understand the way houses and hospitality work there, what I believe actually happened is they knocked on the door and there was no room in the living quarters of the of the house of the inn of however you want to say it on the upper levels because people would sleep on the second level on the lower level of homes the animals were there the kitchens were in there anything like generated heat would be down on the lower levels and so and on top of that (laughs) um in the first century they didn't have barns the way that we do now it's not like there were pastures out there and barns out in the middle of the field standing there by themselves that just wasn't a thing (laughs) 
the animals lived in the houses with the people. Okay. Um, well, most of them. I mean, some were pastured, but anyway. <laughs> so it, it makes more sense that basically they went and they knocked on the door and there was no room to sleep upstairs on the pallets with everybody else, but they were actually welcomed into a place and they stayed with the animals and he was laid in a manger, you know, next to the kitchen and all of that. But it, it gives a different perspective that they were denied hospitality. It wasn't people shunning Mary because she was an unmarried pregnant woman or something like that. It was just, you know, they were a little bit later getting there. In fact, it's the opposite. People actually did show them hospitality. They actually did open up their home and they did the absolute best that they could for them. This brings up an interesting point. Basically, the innkeeper has gotten the worst rap ever in recorded history. Yeah, definitely. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I like, I think I even said in the book, like in my mind, he's like out of Chaucer with like some sort of, I don't know, jaunty, like velvet beret standing (laughs) in front of like a tutor in and they're coming up and he's like, no, no, no. And the implication is, you know, no, I'm not going to let an unmarried pregnant woman come in. Absolutely none of that happens. (laughs) That's just, we, we in the 21st century in a Western culture, reading an English translation of the Greek in this case, we, we, we fill in the blanks differently. And so, you know, when it says that he was laid in a manger, these kinds of things, the, the first century Jew would have filled in with, oh, they had to stay on the lower level, you know, um, it, it, they, they would have known all of the cultural historical things that, I mean, that would have been historically accurate at the wow. time. Okay. And we, we just, you don't know those things. Um, I don't know. I guess unless you study archaeology or, <laughs> well, or something like that. That's why we have you, Amanda. That's a heavy load. But. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But yeah, I mean, unless you really dig into it. Amanda Hope Haley with us today on the road. She's a lover of the Bible, a scholar, author, and archaeologist. And the new book is called Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow. And we have just a couple minutes left. It's gone so fast mm-hmm. already. And... Just, we don't want to go anywhere without saying, where can we pick up a copy of the book and learn more about what you do? Um, The book is everywhere now. Um, It's on Amazon, ChristianBook.com, Barnes & Noble. It is being stocked in, Barnes & Noble, I believe, is stocking it in their brick and mortar stores. Um, So pretty much anywhere you buy books, you can find it. And aside from that, I, I keep a website going. I try to blog like once or twice a month. So it's not a whole lot of stuff, <laughs> but um, I, I have a blog. And then I also have a small podcast that I started back in the spring called The Red-Haired Archaeologist. And all of that's on my website at amandahopehaley.com. Okay. I probably should ask you a much deeper, more profound question in the last, you know, just over 60 seconds that we have. But instead, because I'm really curious and you're an archaeologist, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, do you think the Ark of the Covenant is out there somewhere to be found? Oh. Not as we think of it. No, I'm going to say no. I love the idea that maybe it's somewhere in Ethiopia. I know there's a, there's a rather strong tradition that honestly I'd like to study a little bit more. Um, I'm hoping to not my next book, but the following book, um, I'm going to be doing some archeology span in Egypt and I actually kind of hope to dive down into Ethiopia because Ethiopia was a part of Egypt and the ancient world. Right. And dig around and study it a little bit more. But, I mean, it's it's unlikely 
only because of the kind, the, the, the way Jerusalem was so completely destroyed. And the fact that it it would have behooved Nebuchadnezzar when he came into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, it, it would have been good for him to destroy the Ark of the Covenant in front of everybody. Sure. That only would have made him seem even more powerful. So because nothing has been found, um, just leaning purely on logic, that's kind of where I land, but that I, I hold it incredibly loosely. That's <laughs> not something I, you know, if it is found tomorrow, I will be, I will be way more excited than Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, there's a perfect place to end what's been a fascinating conversation. Amanda Hope Haley, one more time, the title of the book, Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thanks for being a great sport. It's been a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. This was fun. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road. Programming like this happens because of your incredible support. You can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. And we'd be so glad to connect with you during the week on social media. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at OnTheRoadRyan. Until next time, God bless you, my friend.